Good morning, Watermark. It's great to see you. I'm not really seeing you, but here we are together online, sort of gathering with the same heart in, in, in this completely different way. It's, uh, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, and, and I'm in my garden, and this is the first time in my adult life that I have not been at a building planning a giant Easter service. And I gotta say, it's weird. It's unique, for sure. Um, but over the last few days, I've been coming outside sort of here and there in the morning to ponder this and what this means for us. And I've come to some conclusions. And I want to talk to you about some of these conclusions. I think perhaps this might be the most accurate Easter that we've had. And I think by the end of this, you might agree. Um, I'm going to start with John 19, chapter, uh, John chapter 19, verse 41. I have neighbors out here, 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 and here, and they're going to come out and move around, and they're going to think I'm weird for talking to, to my phone this early in the morning, but we're just going to ignore that. Um, John 19.41 tells us that Jesus was buried uh, by Joseph of Arimathea, taken, his body was taken, and he was laid in a personal tomb of this man, Joseph of Arimathea. Now, it tells us kind of where this was as well. It says it's near Golgotha, and it says that uh, it was a sort of a, a garden, a walled garden area. We know that uh, archaeology and history tell us that this area in that day was uh, where Golgotha was and where this garden would have been was an old quarry. It was an abandoned stone quarry. And so this would have also been a place where we also know that, that they would have used it as a garbage dump as well, throwing out your refuse, the, the parts of food that you weren't using, this and that. And there may have been fires burning there to burn the garbage. Um, and, and, and here's the thing. Joseph of Arimathea had apparently saved up some money and bought a portion of this of this quarry to be his own, and he put a wall around it and made it his garden, and he had a, a tomb there. And the way these tombs would work is you would, you would put people who had died in them, and, and their bodies would decompose, and then you would take sort of the bones, um, and you would put those in an ossuary to take with you to your next place. And so um, this is sort of the picture that we have, this abandoned... It wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have been a pretty place, but in the middle of this sort of ugly place, you, you would have had this little garden. And apparently someone had tended this garden there, and there was a gardener who worked there. And um, uh, You'll see how we know this in, in a few minutes here. Um, so there's probably some flowers and probably some vegetables. It was a place to go and sit and pray. It was private. It was quiet. Um, and I wanted to spend Easter morning here to try to get the sense of this story of what's happening because we have on, on in John chapter 20 verse 1 it says early on the first day of the week while it was still dark Mary Magdalene went to the tomb so this is how Mary would have experienced the first Easter she goes to the tomb early in the morning it was still dark she gets up and she's walking um, to the tomb and she's trying to make sense of of what she had been through and, and we sort of know her mindset we know that she was in a dark place not just literally in a dark place because the sun hadn't come up yet but like her mindset, physically, what she had been through is difficult and it's hard. She had, um, she had three days earlier watched her friend be arrested by the, the occupying forces in their country and perform an illegal trial with the help of her own religious leaders in the middle of the night and illegally convict and torture this man whom she loved and followed, this Jesus of Nazareth. And then they beat him and and publicly executed him in front of everyone. And she's dealing with this, and we know that in her hand, she's also carrying these spices. 
And the point of these spices is to, to go and to embalm Jesus. And it's sort of like you're putting this, think of this, you're carrying these sweet, pretty smelling spices to put on a corpse to cover the stench of it in some way and to help the decomposition process along so you can move past it, so you can get to the next step. Now, that is her mindset. That is physically where she's at, mentally, emotionally where she's at. Let's bring it back to us. I'm out here in, in my garden. It's not much. But we're going through really dark times. There's death. There's suffering. There's fear all around us. And we had plans this morning. Maybe you're still even going to do that. I'm going to gather later with my kids. We're going to play some games and maybe find some Easter eggs in our, at our, around our house and it's sort of like we're doing what Mary's doing. It's a, it's a heavy, dark time. There's a lot of uncertainty. We want to move past it. And so we are carrying sort of sweet-smelling spices in the form of, like, celebration and dressing up. And We're going to come to Easter morning with what we have. Heavy hearts, but spices in our hands, right, to try to make the best of this. Right? And so... I, I wanted to bring you out to sort of my garden here. Again, not much. There's a tiny little wall around it, around my little um, walled garden here. What do we got? We got some, um, we have, these are sunflowers. This one was supposed to be back here, but I, you know, kids can, I guess, stick seeds wherever they want. And we got some sunflowers here. Over here we have, um, these are green beans. And then we have, I don't know what that is. That may be a weed that, that we confuse with a plant. It's getting bigger. Uh, and then we have, Something else I don't know where it is. I think that's a melon, though. That's what I think. Um, and we have a lot of empty space because the fact is that we, we put a lot of seeds in the ground and not a lot of it came up. <laughs> um, because sometimes you work really hard and you sow and you put stuff in the ground and you have expe expectations and things are going to come up and, and then they don't. And that's life. And so you have to accept what you've been given. You have to accept what has come up out of the ground. First Easter lesson. Like... This is what we got. And so we're going to tend it. And we're going to make the best of it. Um, and it's simple. And it's unexpected. Um, now, I want to read John chapter 20. I'm going to start at verse 1. I'm going to go to verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles or turn on your Bibles and read along with me. I'm reading from the NIV. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they have put him. And at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you were looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Okay, so the first time that Jesus is seen alive is by Mary, and it's here in the garden 
would have felt a little bit like this. I know sometimes we have these mythical sort of big pictures of like lights and all this stuff. It, it would have felt very simple like this. Um, and she sees Jesus alive. And the first thing she thinks is that he's the gardener that works there. Now, if you know anything about Jewish literature, um, you would know that nothing is put in the text uh, on accident. Everything is put there on purpose. Everything. And so an offhanded mention of a, of a gardener is not an offhanded mention of anything at all. Um, there's this principle in, in ancient Jewish literature called first fruits. Uh, I'm sorry, for that too, but uh, first mentions. That when something is, is put out there, um, an idea, an interesting little idea, thought, word, you are to think about the first places in, these, in the scripture where these ideas are mentioned. And so he mentions Jesus is there, and they're in a garden. He specifically says they're in a garden, and there's a gardener. And your mind is meant to wander back to the first place in scriptures where there's a garden, and there's a gardener. And it instantly, for the Jewish people, goes back to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, you have God has made this garden. And someone has come up out of the ground in this garden. God has formed this person up from the ground, right? And he has given this person. His name is Adam. It means, um, it means from the ground. That's literally what it means. Um, and he has given this Adam, this from the ground man, the role and the task of tending the garden that he has placed him in. So this is what Adam is there for, to tend the garden. So we find ourselves in John 20. And our minds go back to Genesis chapter 2. And what do we find in these two passages? Both of them have this garden. Both of them have this man coming from the ground. Both of them have a man and a woman together there in the garden. Both of them have God there with them in the garden. Um, and then Jesus here, John, he's, he's, he's writing this gospel. And he says, he says, and she turns, she's in this garden. She turns and she sees the gardener who has just come up from the ground. What happened in that very first, in Genesis chapter 2, what happened in that first garden? Well, that is the story that uh, we find these two in the garden right before, right before paradise is lost. Right before death enters into the world. As Paul would put it, wherefore by one man death entered into the world. What do we find in John 20? We find a man and a woman in a garden. One of them is a gardener who's come up from the ground, and we find them there right before paradise is found again. That's what we find. Um, this is no accident. This is Jewish literature at its finest, right? So, first mentions, what, what, I want to talk about what did Mary expect on this tomb. What did Mary expect? I'm going to talk about three things, actually. I'm going to talk about what did Mary, first off, uh, what did she want? What did she expect? And what did she find? So, um, let's start with what she, uh, what she wanted. She wanted what we want. She wanted everything back to normal. She wakes up every single morning after this tragedy. And she looks around. And she just wishes things could go back the way that they were. All of us do. She's on her way to the tomb. She wants her rabbi back. She had plans, right? Like, wherever she thought that this thing was going. She wanted it to go there. She wanted it to continue to move there. We're, we're not fully privy to, to like what 
the followers of Jesus really fully expected to happen from Jesus, but we, we pretty much understand that they wanted him to sit on the throne where the emperor sat. They had plans, and they're all gone. And so she wanted those back. She wanted things put back the way they were. What did she actually expect, though? Because we know what she wanted, but what did she expect? She expected the same thing she had been getting the last few days. She expected to get to the tomb and find Jesus dead. And she expected to do her best to take these sweet-smelling things and put them on the corpse and try to make the best of this terrible situation and move through the process of getting past it. What about us? What do we want? We kind of want everything to go back the way it was. We had plans. We had retirement accounts. We had whatever. You had, we had jobs. Moving up the ladder. You had sales figures. You, you had projections. And it's all gone. Again, I think this may be the most accurate Easter we've, we've experienced in our lifetimes. We want it back. That's what we want. But what do we actually expect? We expect things to be today the same as they were yesterday. And in fact, things seem to be getting worse. The death toll is rising around us. We expect decay and we expect death. We expect to be locked up in our houses a little longer. We do not expect today to be any different than yesterday. And we don't really expect tomorrow, actually, to be any different than today, either. Now, the last question. What did she actually find? And I think this is where our minds really need to go. Because what she found was not things put back the way they were. Things did not go back the way they were, ever again. What she actually found is not this old sense of normalcy. What she found is also not what she expected to find. She didn't find death and decay. What she actually found is something brand new, something unexpected, something that had never happened before. Because resurrection is not about going back to the way things were. Resurrection is not about sending things um, back to the old way again. Resurrection is about doing something new. It's about this whole new future, this whole new like idea that is opened up that like the future can be vastly different than we had ever planned it before. And I think this is where we find ourselves now. We're in this situation where we want things to go back the way they were. They're not going to, by the way. We want... Um, we, we don't really expect right now anything different, but on resurrection what we find is that the skies have opened up, the ground has opened up, and we find this whole new way forward, that things don't have to, moving forward, that things don't have to be the same way that they were. Things can be different. Resurrection is about moving forward, not going back to the way that things were. Because we know it wasn't healthy. God is in this. He's doing something with this. Um, the question is, are we, are we capable of seeing any of it? I'm going to pause here for a second. See this giant tree behind me? This is a really weird tree. So about three or four years ago, when we moved into this house, there was this, there's this tree and we didn't know what it was. And I'm not a tree guy. I know what palm trees are. I'm from Florida. Like I recognize palm trees and oak trees, everything else. It's just a pretty tree. But one day, after about six months of living here, we're sitting on the porch, and we hear this loud thumping sound, right? And it hits the ground. Something hits the ground. And then we hear another one. This loud thing hits the ground. And we go over to see, you know, what the heck are these thumping sounds? And we picked up this 
fruit that fell out of this tree. It's about this big, and it was long. It's kind of long and skinny, um, and it's brown. Um, it's a really weird sort of... It, it kind of looks like... It's like the size of a squash, right? And it's really heavy. And I was like, well, that's weird. And so my kids are getting them. They're playing with them. They're cutting them all up. They're like these giant potato-looking things. I didn't know what they were. About, about, uh, about three, month, three or four months later, these vines started coming down out of this tree. And these vines would come down and... And at the bottom of these of these vines, there would be these these four flowers. These like it looked like a chandelier, like flowers coming out on each end. And I had never seen this before, and I didn't know what this was. Um, and the hummingbirds were coming, and they were drinking out of them, and bees were all over them. Um, the animals seemed to really like it. And eventually, those kind of fell off, and the vines kind of fell down. My kids would swing the vines around. It's a really weird tree. Um, and we had never seen another one. We had asked different people who to trim our, who trimmed our trees. We're like, hey, what kind of tree is this? They're like, I have no idea what kind of tree that is. Um, and they all had different ideas of what kind of tree it was. Well, one day, we went... What's going on, man? Well, one day we went to... Um, it's my neighbor, Willie. One day we went to um, a Ringling Brothers Muse- uh, Ringling Museum. There's like this museum that the Ringling Brothers and Barman Bailey kind of have. It's like their house. And we went down there, and there's this huge like mansion thing on the water. And outside of this mansion thing, there was this tree. And it was smaller than this one, but it was identical. It was the same one. And there was a guy out there printing a gardener pruning the tree and I go over to to the guy and I'm like hey I have one of these and he says no you don't have one of these this is that's that's not possible this is not a tree from Florida he goes he goes uh I said well what what, what kind of tree is it he looked at me he goes this is it's actually called an African sausage tree and in my mind I'm like that's the best they could come up with a sausage tree that makes it less appealing it could have been like something exotic sounding but it's an African sausage tree um and come to find out, it's a very unique tree that provides different food for all of the animals, different parts of the year. Um, and so, like the monkeys in the middle of in the middle of summer, those fruits that come down, they eat those fruits. Um, the natives there as well would take this fruit and make some kind of alcohol out of it. And then there's these flowers that would come down, and there's this kind of bird that would eat these flowers. And then the giraffes would eat the leaves off the top of the tree. And all year round, as the migrations are moving through, this tree had adapted to feed all these different types of animals, right? I thought this was all very fascinating. And I said, yeah, I I, I have one of these trees. And he said, well, if it's... And I said, and mine's actually way bigger. And he said, if you have this tree and it's way bigger, then first off, it's very old. And it was planted by somebody that came from very, very far away. Okay. Under this tree... There's this, um, there's this chimney. We've put a birdbath on top of it that we found in, in the in the woods there. But there's this leftover chimney, and this chimney is left over from a cabin that apparently used to be here in 1870. Like, apparently this little plot of land has some history. Um, and apparently this guy who built this cabin had gone to Africa and gotten one of these plants, these seeds, and loved the tree, brought it back, built a cabin, and planted an African sausage tree here so that maybe he could feel like he was from somewhere else, so that his little place, his little plot of land would feel different and unlike everything else. Now, one of the early ways that the church would talk about Jesus is as a seed from another place. This is how they spoke about Jesus, a seed that was planted in the ground, and what came up out of that ground was something vastly different that no one 
had ever seen or had ever expected uh, before. Um, a seed that had been planted three days earlier that, that now something was coming up and, and it doesn't fit in with sort of its surroundings at all. It doesn't fit in at all. Uh, it's something that can't be confused for anything else. It's something that uh, when you look at it, you're like, that is unique, that is different. That is how a lot of the early church fathers spoke of Jesus. Something that came up out of the ground that just, it's from another place. It doesn't fit. I mean, we have, Mary had, everyone in the first century had expectations of the world. The world had always been, always been the same. They were rulers that rose up, they gathered armies, they built kingdoms, they, they led in wars. There's a hawk above me, that's really beautiful. Uh, they led the people in, in wars. Um, and they were born and they lived to their mid-30s, maybe 40s. If you were wealthy, you might make it to 50, and then you died. And this, had, this is how it had been for all humanity since the beginning of time. They were born, life was hard, they were raised, and then they died. This is what they expected. But on resurrection morning, on Easter morning, that day, a seed that had been planted... It came up out of the ground and presented something new, this brand new idea of resurrection. That things could be brought back not just the way they were, but forward. And that God was in this. And that what God is actually doing is not maintaining the status quo, but making things better. And even after the worst situations that you can imagine, the worst things that you can possibly go through, what you find on the other end is, is a gardener. And this is the thing, a gardener. Um, Sometimes people talk about salvation and the salvation that Jesus brings as like Jesus is like a train conductor and, and Jesus rolled us to get everyone on the train and, and, and take them off to a different destination. Okay. And, and sometimes they talk about Jesus as like a lawyer, right? Who's defending you in front of an angry judge. And sometimes they talk about Jesus as like a banker who has this surplus of, of, of goodness and righteousness and he's giving you some of his surplus because it's, it's flawed. He's just giving you some. But what John presents us with is not a train conductor taking us away. He does not give us a lawyer defending us against an angry judge. He does not present us with a banker giving us out of his surplus what we find is a gardener. And that's different. What John presents us with is something completely unexpected. Um, it's my favorite metaphor for what happens on Easter is that, and for salvation in general, is the gardener. The gardener is the savior who Mary, Mary meets on Easter. And why is this important? Gardeners get their hands dirty, right? They get involved. They grow things. They stick their hands in the dirt and they, they grow things out of it. Gardeners also sort of have a plan of where things are going. Gardeners don't walk into a place and say, I can maintain this. I can keep it the way it was. Gardeners walk in and they look and they say, this could be so much more. This could be so much better. Gardeners also are capable of taking dead things, dead plants, maybe seeds that didn't grow, and they're capable of growing something new out of them, bringing a dead thing back to life. That's what gardeners are capable of doing. That's how we are presented with Jesus. Um... On Easter, we don't find normality. We don't find things going back the way they were. We find newness. We find a whole new way forward. And I think the hope that we need this year is that if we follow Jesus through this, through this dark time of death and suffering, 
with, and if we go to that tomb with spices in our hands, expecting to try to follow God, follow Jesus in the midst of these dark times, what we will find is not someone who will put things back the way they were. Because I don't think things need to go back the way they were. What we will find is a gardener who will guide this thing forward. And God wants to use his people to bring this garden forward. I think that's what we find. I wanted to sort of end this with uh, this writing from G.K. Chesterton. He wrote this book in 1925 called The Everlasting Man. Here's what he says. On the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to find the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In various ways, they realized the new wonder. But even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a brand new creation with a new heaven and a new earth. And in a semblance of the gardener God walked again in the garden, in the cool, not in the evening, but the dawn. What we find on Easter is not the old Adam that fails. We find a new Adam who tends that garden and brings the world to flourish. I think he's doing that now. I think this Easter, that needs to be the conversation. Maybe you should plant something today. Maybe you should spend some time in your garden, wherever that is, whatever that looks like. If you're in an apartment, maybe you have a couple of plants. Maybe that's what we should be doing today. Because planting a seed in the ground is a picture of hope, of a new future, of something going forward. I think that's what we're doing today. And so may I be the first to wish you a happy Easter. I hope somehow it's life-giving. I hope that you can bring some spices for this dark time. I hope that you can see that God is moving things forward, that he has no intention of putting things back, that he has every intention of bringing the world to flourish again. Happy Easter, Watermark. Grace and peace.